Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about a new podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's going to be on the Ringer Reality Podcast. What's it called, Johnny Bananas? Death, Taxes, and Bananas. We're going to be breaking down this season of the challenge, Hall of Fame episodes, and I'm going to be taking you behind the curtain of America's fifth major sport. Are we getting special guests? We're going to have special guests. We're going to have special effects. The show is just going to be special. <laughs> I can't wait. Check it out. Death, Taxes, and Bananas on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me today are Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach, if you can. Hello. Zach is living out that episode of Happy Endings where Alex gets a cold and ends up with a deep, mellifluous, Roscoe Lee Brown-like <laughs> speaking voice. So please bear with Zach for any uh, <laughs> vocal difficulties that we have today. Apologies to our editors, who I'm sure will do human's work to make me sound not as terrible as I feel. You sound great, though at least for, for the time being. And uh, joining us today, as always, Ringer staff writer Ben Lindbergh, who sounds the same as usual. Fit as a fiddle. Hello. Hello. Uh, so I want to talk to you guys. I had an interesting experience last weekend. Um, it was my my mother's birthday, so I went over to my parents' house. And we had uh, cake and present opening and stuff like that. And I did something I hadn't done since before the pandemic. I wore a belt. And it sucked. <laughs> And it turns out that I've made common cause with none other than Lance Lynn, who uh, had a very unusual ejection uh, from his start this week. Uh, ben, you were all over this because you were busy in the Slack <laughs> channel comparing Lance Lynn's performance to Shohei Otani's performance the same night. I was. It's rare for me to retaliate. Usually I don't sink to your level in our various Slack exchanges, if you can call them exchanges. They're kind of one way. <laughs> you pestering. do view it as sinking to my <laughs> level, though. That's a very <laughs> instructive way of putting it. And this time I did because Shohei Otani went eight innings and usually you're making jokes and cracking wise about Otani not being durable or not giving you length. And in this case, he actually doubled Lance Lynn's inning count. Now, I wasn't sure exactly why that was at first. Partly, it was that Otani was much more efficient. He threw 90 pitches over eight innings, whereas Lance Lynn took 88 pitches to throw four. But that was not the only reason why he went for, because he was ejected after four for tossing his belt, I guess, in the umpire's eyes contemptuously at him from, what, the dugout after from, the yeah. callback for the, the sticky stuff inspection? Yeah, 88 pitches. Lance Lynn's usually good for another inning or two after that, but uh, <laughs> yes. the umpire was not ready to inspect his personage for sticky stuff, so Lance Lynn left his hat and his glove uh, for the umpire to take a look and forgot to do the belt, and so he just chucked the belt in the umpire's direction, uh, after the game, Lynn said, this is according to uh, Chris Emma from 670, the score. Uh, um, he said, Lynn said, obviously, I hurt his feelings. I said, well, if you were on time, we wouldn't have this problem. Uh, you know, this started as a bit, but he keeps revealing things like, a, you know, like a, a commitment to punctuality, keeping the game moving and also a contempt for belts and indeed for umpires. Don't start don't start using that line on me, Bauman. If we're three minutes late to a recording, that's not cause for you to say, you know, I if we were on time, this bad transition wouldn't have happened. You can't do that. 
He can't. Well, take you his moved out to the west coast. I can't one. throw my belt that far. So <laughs> come back just, here within belt range, and we can talk. I'm just glad that we're getting some more headlines out of the sticky stuff checks. We got a flurry when they first started, and then for essentially two months. They've been nothing but Lance Lynn was ejected, Caleb Smith was ejected, and his glove confiscated. So it's back in the news. I wonder if we'll see anything more or if this is just the only callback we'll get before the end of the season. Yeah, I saw some indications that the spin rate was actually ticking up league-wide after it had sunk, which made me think that maybe players were getting a little overconfident. Umpires were getting complacent. They were just doing the routine inspections. And maybe at a certain point, pitchers figured out, well, if I don't put it on my glove or my belt or my cap, I'm good and I can get away with this. So I don't know, maybe umpires will ramp up the pressure again. But really, we've had stories and headlines about Lance Lynn and Shohei Otani removing their belts this season. So MLB is really catering to our interests on this podcast. Yeah, and in ways that really characterize why both of us love our respective favorite pitchers (laughs) in the American League. So Exactly. um, The other big news today, Steve Cohen has weighed in on his Mets and their inability to stay ahead of uh, even the Phillies in the NL East as the Braves seem to be running away with that. With a division that like two and a half weeks ago looked like the Mets had pretty securely in hand. Uh, The uh, finance crimes boy says via Twitter, uh, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Ben. What do you think about a guy that rich having a Twitter account <laughs> talking about other people's discipline? Well, he's not wrong, at least when it comes to the factual <laughs> content of the tweet. It is hard to understand. I've been struggling to understand it all season long, but I don't own the Mets. So if I tweet about it, which I haven't, no one would care. Yeah. I mean, if you had had Twitter in previous eras of baseball, you would have had owners tweeting all the time. I mean, imagine how much George Steinbrenner would have tweeted. Imagine, I don't know, Bill Veck tweeting, Bill Veck, yeah. Ted Turner. I mean, these guys would have been on Twitter 24-7. So in that sense, Cohen is just doing something that probably a lot of previous owners would have done if they could have. And instead of going through the press, he is just tweeting. But yes, I mean, you would think that if you are worth as much money as Steve Cohen is, that tweeting would be the last thing that you do. But it's interesting. He has become much more of a celebrity, right? Like he's much more in the public eye now. He was like in the SEC's eye previously, but now he is in the public eye. He's a public figure and it seems like he is enjoying being in the spotlight. I mean, I guess that is why you buy a baseball team, right? So that people know who you are and care about your existence to some extent. And I'd imagine that some portion of the Mets fan base, I don't know if this includes you, Bobby, but probably some portion was nodding along saying, yeah, go get him Uncle Stevie. No, no, it doesn't include me. It just, just, Twitter is not the forum for do many you think things. Of, do you think of Steve Cohen? Do you, do you think of Steve Cohen as Uncle Stevie, though? That's the important question. Uh, no, I do not. Um, Twitter is not the forum for many things, including this. But it's not just about that Twitter is not the forum for this. I'm just worried that... like, So they talked about this on R2C2, right? And, and Ryan asked CC how he would feel. And CC was like, I would be okay-ish about him tweeting this if he would come down to the locker room and say this to the guy's faces like because at least then I would know that he could be honest and I just don't think he's doing that it just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's doing that although maybe he is what do you guys think about that do you think that Steve Cohen is walking into the locker room and roasting them like that viral tweet suggested I hope not (laughs) I mean like I don't know I, I I just kept thinking about like hypothetically if my boss who I didn't see, you know, or hear from at all, trashed me and my coworkers on Twitter. Would that make me more or less motivated to do my job? Well? Likely to, yeah. To be and good. I don't know that that's that that's actually better than if he came down and tra- like and also trashed me to my face. Uh, that probably wouldn't feel great either. But I mean, the the other thing that probably doesn't feel great is being in third place right now. So I guess everybody's just sort of. You know, yes. everybody's misbehavior is they're working through their own negative emotions. So maybe maybe I should have a little bit more grace for uh, in my heart for Steve Cohen. But it's sort of alarming how like uh, how this is the version of accountability, though. Like this is not really how he pitched himself as as being like 
the I demand accountability. I demand the best from my employees. Like you got to send it down the line. Then you should be yelling at Sandy Cohen right now, not tweeting about this. And Hugh Quaddlebaum should not have to answer questions about your tweets. He should have did to you answer. Sandy Cohen. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, incredible. Incredible. Much better shape. Peter Gallagher is going to be on Grey's Anatomy next season. I don't know if anybody's been keeping up. It's on clearly that too season. early and I'm too worked up for this cram. Sorry, I cut you off. I was just stuck on the use of OPS and slugging as the two metrics of choice because <laughs> yeah, slugging that is a real problem. Here. Slugging is included in OPS. Why not OPS plus at least, Steve. No, but you don't need to look at slugging if you have OPS. It's already woven in. That would be like complaining about my breakfast and my cereal if the cereal is part of your breakfast already. Doesn't make sense. Pick better metrics, Steve. Yeah, so he must have been cheating to make all that money in the stock market because he's not even good enough at math to know that OPS and slugging are, are part of the same nesting doll. I, this is this is now, um, yeah. Oh, boy. I, I'm sorry. My brain switched off after Bobby said Sandy Cohen. I haven't been able to concentrate on this since. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess if you own a baseball team, you're entitled to tweet whatever you want. But if you're just doing it for the faves, which I, I guess he's doing it for the social media clout, he seems like the last person who would need that. But I guess he has Mets fans in his mentions all day. And if he's actually making the mistake of reading them, then no wonder he is catering to the fan base that is probably upset. I guess like I saw some reactions from Quattlebaum and, and from other Mets figures, and they were all pretty anodyne, as you would expect, because you're probably not going to fire back at the owner in the press. You would imagine that probably the Mets players were not thrilled by this and that they also were not particularly motivated by this. You know, like it's not a win one for the Gipper sort of situation because Steve Cohen tweeted, I don't think maybe the best outcome is that they just band together against the common enemy. Right. Like there's a shared resentment, although in a way, like if. If, if they perform better now, then that gives him what he wants and also makes it look like, at least to some, that maybe he motivated them or that this was like the impetus for their improvement or something. So really, the way that they could stick it to him is by sucking even more. Yeah, what I don't get is the line of questioning that like these professional ballplayers, like they know that it's important that they do well. Like, it's not like they're not trying hard. And it's so it, I've just never really understood that level of uh, uh, or that line of, of criticism. I, you know, I'm sure there there are some instances where it's obvious that, you know, the, the team's not taking things seriously, but or there are clubhouse issues. But this just seems like frustration. This seems like the level of seriousness that you get from most rich people who talk about accountability. Like what they mean is going in and force of personality people into, uh, you know, into performing well when really they're just getting in the way and making it all about their own ego. It's how I feel about fans booing their own players in person, like for performance related reasons. Obviously you could boo for off the field reasons, or if there's some reason to think that someone isn't trying or something, if there is a lack of effort there, fine. But if someone is just not playing well, then it seems like it would be counterproductive to boo them because they're just going to feel worse about themselves. And do you really have to just vent that bile from your spleen? <laughs> I guess it maybe makes you feel better in sports or entertainment. So there's that. But I just never really understood that yeah. impulse. It's not about the it's not about the target. It's all about the emotions of, of the sender. So. You know, I, I think we can come up with a, a podcast wide editorial uh, stance of don't feel anything or react to anything. You know, <laughs> it's better to just keep everything all bottled up all the time. Um, <laughs> Words to live by. Zach, you heard the word spleen. Do you have anything to say? I just want to ensure that even if we are in some respects against booing of players, that I can still boo you when necessary. Yeah. Oh, please. I this is the anti-booing thing is is Ben's thing. Like, where am I from? Of course I'm I'm pro <laughs> So all right. So today the the meat and potatoes of this episode, as it were, we're gonna have another very special draft. Uh we're doing this because uh Zach dug up an article I wrote five years ago, uh so long in the past. Well, I'll tell you how long it uh in the past it was in a second ranking the potential wildcard starters for the, the 2016 wildcard game. This is so far in the past. Michael Fulmer was in the top five. Um, 
It's also so far in the past that Zach only thinks that I have good ideas about once every five years. So obviously I jumped on on this. We're going to rank uh, the top 15 starters. So a draft of of five rounds of, of for the three of us uh, for starting pitchers on teams that have at least a 15% chance, according to fan graphs, of appearing in the wild card game. So that's that's nine teams that, that we're drawing from. Uh, and we hope we can get to to 15 pitchers that we'd feel comfortable throwing in a winner-takes-all situation. But this idea is interesting to me in part because we love pitchers' duels, but there haven't really been many notable pitchers' duels in the wildcard games, which are now nearly a decade old. So I want to start off with a trivia question for Mike and Ben. There are only two wildcard games, so it's been going on from 2012 to 2019. So that's, what, 16 total games between the two leagues. There have only been two in which both starting pitchers lasted at least six innings. Can you name both of those sets of starting pitchers? One is easy, one is not easy, which is why I'm asking the question. Was was it the two, not the Cueto game that the Pirates won, but the two wild card games after that that the Pirates lost? Because one not. of them was a okay. One of them Neither was involved a, the Pirates. Oh damn. Hmm. My recall. For postseason games is not strong. It's not what it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember who was in some of these wild cards. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Saunders versus, versus Darvish. <laughs> I, can, I, can, one. I can give the answers now for the listeners who have now had long enough to think about it and play on their own, I'm sure. No, so, let, let, let me at least get a guess. Okay. Well, okay. I guess that was a guess. But, um, was it that that Braves Cardinals won the infield fly rule game? It was not. Okay. So Cindergard versus Bumgarner was the one I thought was more uh, notable. Right. Bumgarner threw a complete game. Cindergard threw seven shutout innings. And I think that's what we all hope for from a wild card game. Just two ace starting pitchers going toe-to-toe inning after inning. That was scoreless. 2016, right? Yes. And they were the top two pitchers on my list of potential wildcard game starters. Precisely. I that. The other one, do you remember the John Lester-Kyle Freeland duel at Wrigley in 2018? Oh, I John... remember that being a duel. I remember that being just just the most dog shit baseball game <laughs> of my life. Because you couldn't remember the, the John Lester-Kyle Freeland duel by the time that game ended. Yeah, that was that was a long game. Uh, what thirteen innings, I think. And Lester threw six innings, uh, allowed one run. Kyle Freeland threw six and two thirds, allowed zero runs. But that goes to show we have had very few notable pitchers duels. Not a single one in the American League. I think the best combination of American League starting pitchers uh, performances is I don't know maybe Stroman versus Tillman from twenty sixteen, which. Anytime Again. Chris Chris Tillman yeah. is in the best pitcher stool, not that many, but we can still have hope. Well, also famously, a game remembered for not being decided by the starting pitchers. Uh, that game that mm-hmm. was the the Zach Britton, um, well, the not Zach Britton game, I guess is the um, would be a better way of putting that. Man, that. I had forgotten completely about that Cubs Rockies game, and I'm a little irritated that I remember it now. Like, <laughs> ter- like, didn't Terrence Gore hit in Chris Bryant's spot in the order twice? I believe Terrence didn't Terrence Gore make the final out, something like I that. Don't... No, he made the Terrence Gore made the first out of the thirteenth inning. Okay, hitting in uh, Rizzo's spot. What a disaster! And uh, that's going to be the last Cubs playoff game for. The next uh, fifty years. So, well, unless you count the two they lost to the Marlins in the fake playoff round no, last year. But with the nine teams that have a double-digit shot at the wild card game this year, I think there are enough aces to go around that we can at least dream on a better pitchers' duel uh, this October. So, I think that's why I'm excited about this draft to at least have hope for how the schedule and the standings shape out over the next five weeks to see which pitchers we end up getting in the wild card games. All right. Who's going first? Bobby, do you have a, a wheel or do you want to pick somebody arbitrarily? I can bring a wheel up quickly. I didn't think about draft order because I was I didn't think about it either. I was so thrown by my my Sandy Cohen error. Although maybe that's an indication that I should just rewatch the OC again. What do you think? What do you think it's about that? It's never a bad idea. Yeah. It's always entertaining. You're gonna have time on your hands. 
I haven't known who Sandy Cohen was this entire segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should really watch the UFC then. Ben is going first. Ben oh, is going what? first. Oh, wow. All right. Uh, this is a lot of pressure. Give me one second to see who is going second. And that will be Cram, which makes Crap. Bauman third. <laughs> I had two that I liked. That's interesting. When, I have three, so I would I would love to be want in a to, third Do you spot. want to trade down? Whoa, I don't know where, whoa trading down. Wait, we got to talk <laughs> about that because you got to bribe me to trade down because I hold all the power here. Are we doing a snake draft or straight through? Snake draft, right? Or no? I, I don't if, care. If I, we do a snake, I'll trade no. down, Mike. No, let's just go straight okay. through. It'll give me more time to think. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, uh, so Ben, you have the first pick. Who All right, pick? a lot of pressure on me here. A lot of great options available, but I'm going to go with proven postseason starter, Walker Bueller, who is pitching at the peak of his powers these days. Tough choice. Could have gone with one of his rotation mates. Could have gone with, well, one of the pitchers you're probably about to select. But I feel pretty good about having Bueller out there, not just because of his postseason track record, although it is excellent, but just because of his general excellence. He's really good. He is leading the major leagues in ERA, I believe, right now among qualified starters. So, yeah, Walker Bueller for me. How wild is it that the Dodgers, who still trail the Giants, uh, could theoretically not have Max Scherzer make a single postseason start for them if they end up making the wildcard game and Bueller starts there. I think it depends on whether the Padres get their act together, whether that's theoretical or just a certainty. <laughs> okay, with number two, I will take the pitcher who is top on my board, who is Garrett Cole. I think Cole has been somewhat inconsistent since the sticky stuff's crackdown, but I think concerns about his diminished effectiveness have been overblown. He had a complete game shutout against the Astros. He pitched very well against the Angels his last time out. Uh, so I think he's not doomed to be a mid-rotation starter now. I think Cole's still an ace. And probably, I don't know, with Jacob deGrom injured, is he the most consistent starter over a, a long period of time in baseball right now? I think probably. So I'll take him number one, not overthink it here. Or I guess I'll take him number two, not overthink it here. Well, Cole was number two on my board, and I agree that the sticky stuff concerns are overblown a bit, but we're talking about who do you want pitching a most win, must-win game when you have some of the other best pitchers in baseball available. So for me, that was enough to bump him down. Like Bueller, 
He lost some spin too, as I recall, but since the sticky stuff enforcement started, he has a 1.69 ERA. So it has not seemed to face him at all. Whereas Cole has been his usual self in some starts, but has also seemed very far from his usual self in other starts and just came back from COVID and, and looked good in his start back. But there's enough inconsistency there that it bumps him down from like best possible pitcher. <sighs> Yeah, so I get the the first uh, pitcher on my board as well, Max Scherzer. Um, you want to talk about consistency. His ERA on the season has been between two and three uh, since the end of April. Um, and yeah, I, I have slight concerns, like like Ben said, about the sticky stuff with, with Garrett Cole. Um, I think Bueller is in the NL Cy Young conversation. I think he's a little bit out over his skis in terms of um, outpitching his peripherals. So I would put uh, Scherzer over Bueller, uh, not by much, and I don't expect the Dodgers to uh, to do the same if they have to pick one guy uh, to start their wildcard game. But uh, I don't think you can go wrong with another pitcher who has an argument for best of his generation. All right, so it's back to me, I suppose. So this is tough. I uh, This might be a bit of a reach, but I'm going to go with Kevin Gossman here. I don't know if this is way too high or not, but every time I've watched Gossman pitch this year, he is absolutely shoved, and I'm not just going to base it on the starts that I've happened to see. He has also been really good all year long, and really, like, he feels a little bit of a breakout guy and kind of like along with the whole Giants, where did these guys come from kind of theme, but that's not really him. Like, he was excellent last year, too. His peripherals were good prior to that, and he's made some changes that makes you believe that it's pretty real. So just about everyone else that I was considering going with next either has some sort of nagging injury concern or some other knock against them. And really, other than the fact that he doesn't have the long-term track record of a Bueller or Cole or Scherzer, I couldn't really come up with a knock against Gossman. So going with him. Are you at all concerned that since the All-Star break, he has a 5.2 ERA with <laughs> walk and home run rates double what they were before the break? Slightly, slightly concerned. But uh, yeah, no, if, if you can go with the post-sticky stuff, Garrett Cole inconsistency, I can go with the post-All-Star break, Kevin Gossman. Yeah, they're basically the same guy. Um, <laughs> Goss- Gossman was number four on my board, too. I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, that um, makes me feel better. Yeah. So this is tricky because... I think there was a very clear top three on my board and then kind of muddled thereafter. I think for number five, I will take the injury risk of Clayton Kershaw. I know that he is still a few weeks away from returning. I know that Dave Roberts said there's a slight chance that he doesn't return to the rotation at all and just becomes a super bullpen weapon for the playoffs. But I trust in Kershaw. He obviously got the World Series monkey off his back last year. And I think in one game, he's not the Clayton Kershaw of 2014 anymore. But given that he's no longer pitching on short rests in the playoffs and presumably wouldn't be for this theoretical wildcard start, I will take Kershaw fifth overall. Again, not overthinking it at this point of the draft. Well, the good thing about taking Kershaw that high is uh, we have put the playoff narrative to bed for good now, I think, with the, I hope, I don't know, maybe it'll come back uh with uh with the Dodgers winning the World Series. I was actually afraid that one of you guys was gonna uh pop up and pick my guy at number six, and that is Luis Castillo, uh, who was Wow. Think, yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. He was awful for two months, but he was really good for years before that. And since uh June first, uh in 15 starts, he has a 273 ERA and a 218 opponent batting average. And that includes um, a start against Cleveland where he got absolutely torched. Uh, so he's fixed whatever has ailed him. And I think he's a top five or six pitcher on this list. Uh, if you, you know, um, or he would have been a top five or six pitcher on this list before uh, the the struggles that he had early in the season. So I guess this is the opposite of, of the Kevin Gosman thing where, um, in my case, the the half of a season that's that's selling me on this guy is the most recent one. Yeah, he has fixed whatever has ailed him, except for, as you said, when he got torched by Cleveland. Yeah, last that week. was one. So. I mean, that's that's <laughs> once. It wasn't 
No, he has. First been of all, it, oh, I guess now. it was technically last week. That was three starts ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I, I, if you had asked, if we had done this like on opening day, then I probably would have picked Castillo quite high and right around where you took him. And so it was just like, what is going on with this guy for the first couple months of the season when people were picking him as a potential Cy Young Award winner? And he has really seemed to right the shift. I mean, it's it's kind of scary to pick someone to start this game who had like a seven plus ERA at the end of the first couple of months of the season. But you're right. He I has mean, scary to it's like scary to pick self. a guy for this game full stop. So Castillo is not in my top 10. Sorry. Whatever. Enjoy losing the wild card game. Uh, you're up again, Ben. All right. Well, I took Kevin Gossman. I guess I'm going to stay in the NL West and I'm going to go with you Darvish for my next pick. And he is uh, dealing with a slight injury, but doesn't seem like it's anything super serious. Sounds as if he'll be back soon. And I have faith in Mr. Darvish. And uh, especially if no one is banging on any trash cans or anything, I feel pretty good about picking him in this spot. He hasn't been, you know, peak Darvish this season, but he's been pretty good and his peripherals are still very strong. Yeah. And I think his recent struggles can probably be chalked up somewhat to his injury. But again, they are there, similar to Kevin Gossman's second half, actually. It, it really, I think this exercise and Darvish was one example, Gaussman another, even Castillo a third of how there are all these pitchers who are very good, but when you're ranking them for this kind of draft and your entire season depends on one game, those those uh, those small sore spots really begin to stand out. And you say, okay, well, there are only like three guys I actually fully trust here. Yeah, that's uh, that became very apparent when I picked Luis Castillo with my second pick. So for my next pick, will you allow this? Will you allow Colin McHugh slash Ray's no. bullpen game? No. Okay. Out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> That's too cute. We're not doing that. Can I, I like it, Cram. I like it, Cram. <laughs> I, this is the special Colin McHugh sometimes replies to some of us on Twitter exception, you know? I, I'm fine picking someone else here, but I do want to point out that Tampa is leading the AL East. I think they will probably win the division, but it's not guaranteed, especially once they stop playing the Orioles every night. According to Fangraphs, they have about a 60% chance of winning the division, a 36% chance of making the wildcard game. And I would bet if Tampa makes the wildcard game, they would go with a bullpen game of some sort because they have a really weird rotation situation right now of their best starters in recent seasons. Charlie Morton's gone. Blake Snell's gone. Tyler Glass now is injured. So they would basically be relying on rookies or a bullpen game. So I bet if Tampa makes the wild card game, they would go with a bullpen kind of like Oakland did a few years ago. But if you won't let me pick that here, I will instead turn to, I'll go with Robbie Ray. Uh, Toronto has fallen uh, down to only a 15% chance of making the wild card game now because they lost a bunch of games to some not so great teams like the Nationals. However, Robbie Ray has been awesome this year, uh, which is good news for him as he prepares to enter free agency. His walks are down, and that was always Ray's biggest problem, but his strikeouts are still up. So I'll take Robbie Ray here. Also, understanding that in a wild card game, if somebody just doesn't have it in the first inning, if Ray walks three of the first four batters, you can replace him pretty quickly because it's an all hands on deck situation. This is what the Yankees did against Minnesota a few years back when Severino struggled in the first. So I think in general with these picks, I lean more toward higher ceiling, lower floor, just because you have that those backstops behind him. So I'll go with Ray here and feel fairly confident about it. Yeah, I was hoping he would drop to me. Ben, you can give your Robbie Ray pitch first. Well, yeah. No, it, it's a good pick. His his walk rate decline is like witchcraft. I, I don't, I don't trust of, it. I'd like yeah, I there's no too... <laughs> amount of, of track record Robbie Ray can put down from now until the end of his career that is gonna make me instinctively trust that he's not gonna walk seven guys. Like yes, and I, I know it's irrational and I know it's not fair, <laughs> but it's I'm just not gonna be comfortable, even if you probably win the game. Yeah, it's too dramatic an improvement. I know that there are reasons why he has gotten a better control and, you know, he's thrown 
more fastballs or whatever. Like we could come up with explanations, but when you go from walking as many guys as he walked last season, and I know it was seven starts, but he still walked 31 guys in 31 innings. And, and it's now, not like this wasn't a problem for him. Right. Before. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. such an extreme problem, but it was still pretty bad. So yeah. But as Zach is saying, like, I'd rather go with the guy who I think can give me, you know, five excellent innings than the guy who I think is going to go seven at a slightly lower level. Cause it's the wild card game. And realistically, most teams aren't going to let you go that long in this game unless they have a really bad bullpen. You're going to get pulled. So you just want the guy who can get you to the sixth or so without giving up any runs. All right. For my pick, I think it's not your I, pick. No, oh, it's not my pick. It's oh. not. Yeah, it's not <laughs> right. even your turn to talk. Like we're so I was going to say this <laughs> about Robbie Ray Uh in all of his starts, we talk about him as being a high peak guy, but he's made it to the fifth inning every start this season, and he hasn't allowed more than four earned runs in a start this season. So there is like, again, maybe this isn't the same guy. Like Robbie Ray is definitely uh, a top five, looks different based on his haircut and or beard ball player. Um, so maybe like he just has discovered an alter ego. Um, all right, before Ben butts in front of me again, I'm going to pick Joe Musgrove, uh, who's another pitcher who's taken a big step forward this year. Uh, he hasn't been quite as good since the break as he was in the first half when obviously he threw uh, the first no-hitter in Padres history. Um, but even even as he struggled in the past two months, he has a, a 4.06 ERA in his last eight starts. Um, at this point in the draft, you're not going to get a guy who's bulletproof. I think I trust Musgrove to, at the very least, keep me in the game. Um, and I think you can't, you know, you're not going to get that, that really, really high ceiling, uh, at this point without sacrificing some of that security. Well, I wish I had jumped in front of you to take that pick because I was going to take Joe Musgrove too. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) you're lucky that we actually stuck to the appointed order here. Is it lucky. now? This the rules of the game. <laughs> I'm lucky that you abided by the rules of this. This it's like uh, when a team bets out of order, they get away with it unless you. No, catch they them don't and, get away with. They, they don't do. get away with that unless you out of order. catch them and call them out on it. They could get away with it. So you you called me out on it. So you get Joe Musgrove. Congrats. I think Ben is misunderstanding how cheating actually works. Here. <laughs> yeah, that. All right. <laughs> First round or first pick of the fourth round, the Houston Astros go next. Who are are you picking? (laughs) I should forfeit my pick for trying to cheat in the previous round. I think I will take another proven postseason pitcher, all capital P's, Julio Urias of the Dodgers. And he is also on the injured list or or was very recently on the injured list. Yeah, with a, he's going to be back injury. soon. Like yeah, I, have, I have fewer questions about him coming back than basically anybody else who's currently hurt. Yeah, it's not an arm thing. It's a calf thing. And it's seemingly not a Mike Trout calf thing. It's like a calf that actually heals. So I will take Urias, who has been really good this season and has been really good in postseason in the past. So, I mean, we've already drafted three Dodger starters ahead of him, which I guess says something about the strength of the presumptive Dodgers playoff rotation if everyone is actually healthy when the playoffs start. But I still feel pretty good about their number four option if that's where we're putting him. And also, if the Dodgers do end up in the wild card game, I imagine all those pitchers will just go in relief of each other like the Nationals did with Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin. It would just be like Bueller starting and then Kershaw and then Scherzer and then Arias in some sort of righty-lefty tandem operation. And they don't ever have to get into the soft underbelly of the bullpen uh, if they don't want to. All right. With my next pick, I will take by far, I think, the highest ceiling pitcher remaining on the board. And that is Chris Sale. I would feel a lot more comfortable making this pick if I knew what Sale did against uh, Texas in his start tonight, because right now all we've seen from Sale in the last two years is against double A hitters, against triple A hitters, and against the Orioles, who are what I guess we'll call them quad A hitters. Uh, Sales looked very good in 17 minor league innings during his rehab. He struck out 30 in five innings against Baltimore last week. He struck out eight while allowing just two runs and no walks. So I think he's looked about as good as you could have possibly hoped thus far. We obviously still need to see what he does in his rehab, but I don't think there's anyone left on the board who brings anywhere near his ceiling. 
So Chris Sale, number uh, number eleven overall. Problem is the Orioles have been much better offensively than the Rangers this year. So I'm, I'm not sure that this is going to be the true test either. This is a, another quadruple A matchup. The the Rangers actually have uh, the worst WRC plus, not counting pitchers of any team in the majors this year, and that's with more, more than half a season of Joey Gallo, who's no longer there. So yeah, I had the same dilemma with Sale, where I wanted to take him because the minor league rehab numbers were good, and the start against the Orioles looked good. But we just haven't seen him tested yet. And if this is a must win, make or break game, it's just not enough for me to hand it over to him yet. I probably would have taken him next if he was still on the board. But even like you talk about the the small sample, like I was going on baseball savant, like trying to see what his pitch movement was like. And or if like he was if he was tracking at the, the same numbers as before the injury or close to it. And even like, I don't know, I saw this slider movement was a little bit down, but he's only thrown 18 of them this year. So I don't know how you draw that kind of conclusion, but I agree that like now, particularly now after like 10 pitchers have gone off the board at his peak, he was so good. And uh, with a little bit of time with, with a few more starts to ramp up, I think he could be uh, a serious weapon for, for the Red Sox in the increasingly unlikely looking event that they uh, end up making the playoffs. But I think, yeah, yeah, he's, it's funny before I've written in the past about how sale has a tendency to break down toward the end of the season or around the postseason. He kind of wears out, but I guess that's not a problem when you've been off for two years. So now he's only getting stronger. Right now, according to the playoff odds, the most likely wildcard game is Yankees versus Red Sox. And I like the Brian Curtis style. It doesn't matter what TV executives think, but can't see Yankees Red Sox in a winner take all wildcard game and not think about how excited the TV executives would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, if for no other reason than they're going to be able to sell seven hours worth of commercials for the game. So <laughs> if they could just play it in a cornfield, it would be the ideal. There we go. Um, yeah, if they played in that cornfield, I don't think it would matter who was starting. It would end up being <laughs> like 14 to 11. All right. Well, that, gonna, that's what happened when they played in London a couple years ago. So that's true. Who's left on the board is a bunch of guys who are pretty reliable, who I personally like a lot, but I don't know if there's like, I'm, I'm tempted. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm tempted by Shane McClanahan. Uh, I thought he was going to last till my last pick. Darn it. No, he's the one raise pitcher, the the one actual raise pitcher, Zach, uh, who who I would uh, trust to give a traditional five or six inning start uh, in a uh, in this wild card game. He's been uh, exceptional this season, particularly in the second half of the year. I mean, I mentioned it in the 25 under 25 episode, like that kind of velocity from the left side. You just don't know what to do with it. And um yeah, it's it, to say nothing of he was he made his big league debut in the postseason last year. So he was forged in the fires of the playoffs. Nobody understands it the way he does. Uh, so I'm if sales off the board, uh, I'm going to take another slightly risky uh, lefty with big stuff. That's a smart pick. And I think he Thank I you. don't know. Is he is he the Rays ace right now? This gets back to the point I was making earlier. The Rays are an awesome team. I think they are going to win the division, but there aren't any other division leaders that have anywhere near the kind of question marks at the top of the rotation. Yeah, I mean, the the two raised starters uh, with 10 starts in the lowest DRAs, um, I guess, apart from McClanahan or Glass now, who's hurt, Rich Hill, who's now a Met. Um, Ryan Yarbrough hasn't pitched that well this season. Uh, he's the other guy I'd throw into that conversation ordinarily, even though he doesn't have traditionally stuff. I guess the plan is like literally the Colin McHugh bull, bullpen game three times a week, and then they'll figure out what happens from there. Yeah, the concept of bullpens and rotations are always a bit more amorphous with the Rays, and they are leading the majors in bullpen war this year, but they are also leading the majors in bullpen innings pitched. So those two things kind of go together, and I probably would have taken McClanahan here too, just because, as I was saying earlier, like you really are only asking for five or so, and that is what the Rays have asked from him on many occasions this year. And I guess in this draft, like we're drafting the starters. We're not really drafting the bullpens that come in behind the starter. So this is some sort of like in a 
vacuum situation where I guess you have generic relievers behind them. And so maybe you discount McCallaghan a little more. But if you assume that just about any team probably has one or two at least bullpen arms who are going to be better than almost any of the starters that we're drafting here, once you get to the third or fourth time through the order, then I think it's a pretty safe pick to take McClanahan. Yeah, the Rays are like the guy at the party uh, with the the beads braided into his uh, into his beard, and he's you know got his arm around you like, man, what are boundaries? What are pitcher roles, man? Um, thank you for that laugh, Ben. All You're right, uh, it's your turn. My turn. All right. So before we started this draft, I was telling you guys that I had a list of starters a little bit deeper than we were actually drafting here. Who, like, if I were going into the wildcard game with one of these guys, I would at least play it out. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable about it, but like beyond the 17 guys that I listed, like, I'm just forfeiting. I mean, not really, because you never know. You can win a wildcard game, you can have Joe Saunders start and pitch well, but Steve Cohen wouldn't approve if you quit then. <laughs> no, there are 17 guys where I was like, all right, like, I feel like I have a chance here, even if I'm going up against a, another team's top starter. And I think there are five of those guys still left on the board. I think the one I'll take might actually be the least big name of the bunch, and that is Logan Webb. Dang it! Uh, <laughs> all right. Love when I can steal someone from someone else with my last pick. So, Logan Webb. Just a beautiful is, uh, moment right there between you guys, by the way. just This is one of the only places where one man can say <laughs> Logan Webb and another man can yell, dang it, <laughs> yep. seconds later. It's true. Yeah, Logan Webb would not have been in this conversation in any previous season of Major League Baseball. This is his first MLB season with an ERA below five. However, he has done it in convincing fashion, like so many of the Giants who have exceeded expectations this season. 18 games, 17 starts, sub-3 ERA, and low-3 FIP, and sub-3 XFIP, and he kind of does everything you want. He gets a ground ball rate of 62% thus far this season, and he's also struck out significantly more than a batter printing, and he doesn't have a high walk rate. He doesn't allow a lot of homers, so those are kind of all the things that you want a pitcher to do. So aside from the fact that he's Logan Webb, and you would have looked like like I was uh, just out of my mind if I had drafted him several months ago in this spot. I feel pretty good about this pick. Zach, tell me why I made you mad. Uh, because I was going to... T- my like remaining list was Shane McClanahan 1 and Logan Webb 2. So I mm-hmm. should have tried to pull a Ben and leapfrog the two of you. <laughs> you could have traded down. Pick. Didn't work for me, but... Okay, so uh, for my last pick... I think Hyunjin Ryu was the smart pick here, the most reliable. Obviously, Chris Bassett would have been taken already had he not uh, been hit in the head with a line drive a couple days ago. We, of course, hope he's going to be okay, but that makes it hard to pick him right now because it's unclear whether he will pitch again this season. Am I going to do it? I will do it. I will take a pitcher who has never appeared in the of the upper level of the major leagues before I will take Shane Baz of Tampa. Whoa. I want you, man. (laughs) (laughs) I want to bring you back to a decade ago, 2011 when the top prospect in baseball, according to uh, some sites, Matt Moore had appeared in just nine and a third career major league innings. He had made just one start and then he got the ball for game one of the ALDS against the Texas Rangers who eventually almost won the world series And Matt Moore threw seven scoreless innings, proving that Tampa Bay does not need you to have a track record of major league experience to call on you in a key situation. They just pick the player who is best suited for the job, even if that player doesn't have much experience, even if he's young. Shane Baz, like Matt Moore 10 years ago, is one of the best prospects in baseball. He has just performed extraordinarily well all throughout the minor leagues this year. He, in what, six AAA starts most recently, he has a 2.08 ERA with more than 12 strikeouts per nine. The one thing giving me hesitation about Shane Baz is that in the biggest game of his career thus far, he did not throw particularly well against Japan in the Olympics, but I am not going to let a couple bad innings sour me on this sleeper pick. I will take Shane Baz 14th here. Sorry to Hyunjin Ryu, sorry to... 
Jameson Tyone and Sean Manai and all the other actual pitchers I probably should have taken wow. instead. We told him he couldn't do the Colin McHugh bullpen game. And yeah, so he did us one revenge. better. <laughs> this is an end around. Amazing. You're not bothered by the couple bad innings in the Olympics, but uh, I understand why if you're not bothered by the fact that he has not made his major league debut yet. I'm, <laughs> so. I'm actually, there was a small part of me that thought Mike might have been angling here. So I'm surprised. No, that he I had was a so completely vitriolic. different wild ass rookie to pick. And <laughs> I'm not going to do it now because. You've like, I believe in your logic so little. You've talked me out of taking the guy I was going to pick. I was going to, I was going to take Tanner Houck, um, who has almost no major league experience, but it's pitched extremely well in what limited experience he does have. Huge guy throws hard, weird, funky delivery. I think he'd be really tough, um, for a team with limited scouting looks at him. Um, but now that we've had the Shane Baz experience, I'm going to pick a guy who actually did get it done in the Olympics. And that's Hyunjin Ryu, who I, he hasn't, he hasn't been as good this year as he was in the three seasons previous, but I don't know. I, I've lost all my, my will to take risks at this point after hearing the, the Shane Baz, uh, part of this, uh, <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I guess the big snub of the draft is probably Jose Barrios, right? Or he's who I thought I was going to have to pick, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Or Nathan, is Nathan Avaldi? Is the big snub of the draft? Do you know who is currently leading uh, baseball reference pitcher war? Oh yes, Wade of Miley. course, yeah. Wade yeah. Miley. Wade now, Miley. I, I don't. Wade. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with baseball references pitching war methodology, but Wade Miley is currently point one ahead of Zach Wheeler. Uh, obviously, the Reds have a good chance at the wild card game now. I think they've actually passed the Padres in playoff odds because even though they're still a game back, they have a much much easier schedule the rest of the way. Wade Miley, uh, I would not trust him in a wild card game, but that would be something. Honey, he's been really good this year, though. I mean, as evidenced by, well, here's one thing: like maybe I'll I'll be I'll be willing to revisit the the Colin McHugh bullpen game question if I get the right answer to this question, which is: Am I allowed to start Wade Miley and then pull him after one batter for a righty? Uh, you're not actually according to the rules anymore. Unless Can I Wade pull Miley him after gets three hurt. batters for a righty? Yeah, that's true. I'll, yeah, I'll start Wade Milan and put Tanner Houck in after after the first inning. Yeah, you know, I, I I share some of your reservations about Baseball Reference pitching war, and as I go to the Baseball Reference war leaderboard for 2021, which I do almost daily just to see where Otani is, it does take a little <laughs> of the luster away from me when I see Otani on top at eight war, which is great, but then I see number two Wade Miley. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think, is leading this list actually as impressive as it seems? Granted, there's uh, more than a two-win gap between Shohei Otani and Wade Miley, but the fact that Miley is even in the baseball reference war conversation, that he is le- leading the National League among all players in baseball reference war, that uh, that gives me pause. You know, if you had pitched, that, pitched it to me like that at the start of the season, at no point, like, I would have been with you even at the peak of the Otani hater bit if you had said I think Otani will finish more than two wins ahead of Wade Miley I think that that that's that's a statement that's always made sense the only way for this season to end for either the Dodgers or Giants is to finish with the second best record in baseball and then have like Gaussman or Bueller or Scherzer or Kershaw lose to Wade Miley in the wild card game (laughs) yep yeah, who else? Uh, I guess uh, I, I wanted to yeah, mention Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez, yeah. who has like a near five ERA, but his peripherals are basically the same as they've always been, which are quite good. And I would imagine that probably A's fans are are semi-mad at us right now. I know that we had a reason not to include Bassett, but the A's have had a pretty strong rotation top to bottom. I mean, there are other guys who I wouldn't feel bad about starting for me in this game. Sean Manaya, James Caprellian, Frankie Montas even. And, and the Blue Jays, I said we snubbed Barrios. We also snubbed Alec Manoa, I suppose, who has also been good, speaking of rookies. So those were the other guys kind of, in the picture for me, but Sonny Gray was uh, below the Saunders line for me. I considered Corey Kluber. He is going to be back from injury soon and was pitching really well 
right before he got hurt, most obviously with his no-hitter, and he has ample playoff experience. I don't think there's any chance he actually would start the Yankees wildcard game unless they have to like win on the last day of the regular season to get in and Garrett Cole starts that game. But Corey Kluber made my uh, made my long list. Jordan Montgomery, too, has been quite good this year for the Jordan Yankees. Jordan Montgomery was also on my list. He's been clutch dating back to the 2012 College World Series when he started and won a must-win game against Arkansas uh, to get South Carolina the final. So, uh, Monty, I, I think he's he's in that that grouping with a couple of the Blue Jays guys in Mania where I don't I don't know that there's like the complete game shutout upside, but I think that he's probably going to get you through five or six innings, which is probably what you want from a um from a starter in a wild card game at this point. How, I how cut you off. Starter? I just got I just got really <laughs> excited about Jordan Montgomery in a playoff game. How about the starter who is leading the majors in shutouts, Anthony Discofani? Yeah. Yeah. He was, I think he was the first player I cut from my long list, but Uh uh, I, we should also mention, I guess that the Mariners and Cardinals who are both in playoff range, I think the Mariners are actually ahead of Toronto, uh, but their playoff odds are still really low on fan graphs in part because of team strength in part because of tough remaining schedules. So someone like Jack Flaherty, who would have obviously made my list otherwise didn't show up here. You say Kikuchi. Shocking that that you found a way to get Jack Flaherty into, uh, into this conversation. Um, there's another giant, uh, who's got injury concerns who I would at least consider. And that's Johnny Cueto. Uh, his previous wildcard game experience is, uh, mixed, but I think if he doesn't have to deal with that crowd in Pittsburgh, he could be good. He's had a bit of a career renaissance, but he's sort of like, uh, Kershaw, uh, one in that he was really good in the early two thousands or the early 2010s, I should say. Um, but also that I'm not positive he's going to be all the way back to to full strength by the time the wild card game comes around. And I think like Blake Snell is the only other name who I would have expected to be in this conversation before the season, but he has not pitched well at all. He's lost the strike zone. So Snell was cut pretty early from my list. Just scrolling through the names here. Yeah, that's that's everybody I had on my my long list. Um well, if but the good news for Blake Snell is if, if uh, Robbie Ray's any indication, he's gonna come back with a, a, a walks per nine ratio around two next year uh, and be as durable and and effective as ever. Um, okay, uh, unless there's there's anything else, I think it's time for the unnamed weekend preview segment. Zach, do you want to go first? Sure, I will take the. White Sox versus Tampa. I think this is uh, the two best teams in the American League, depending on uh, the health of Houston's lineup and rotation. But it will be nice to see Tampa play a team other than Baltimore, as I mentioned before, because those games are just completely overmatched. And I think Tampa has built itself something of a cushion in the AL East, but with the Yankees charging, uh, it's not comfortable quite yet. So I'm interested to see if Tampa can can maintain that lead as they play a real baseball team. So Tampa versus the White Sox. We get Keuchel versus Patino on Saturday is my favorite pitching matchup. So let's go with White Sox versus Tampa. All right. And I will take the Bay Area battle, Giants and A's, two teams, obviously, without much margin for error at this point. The A's who have fallen a game behind the Yankees and have a half game lead over the Red Sox in the second wildcard spot. And then the Giants, who, of course, are holding off the Dodgers still, but have only two and a half games to play with now. So you have uh, Gaussman and Manaya is a pretty good matchup on Saturday. And yeah, not not really a series with better playoff implications than this. And if you want, you can get a sneak preview of my possible wildcard pick. Logan Webb also going up against Frankie Montas on Sunday. Oh, I disagree that... Uh... <laughs> There's going to be, uh, a, there's not going to be a series with more playoff implications. Um, so I'll preface this pick this way. One of my favorite genres of, of online video, this comes up a lot of my YouTube mention or YouTube recommendations, is videos of failed rocket launches, uh, where the rocket gets off the pad and then sort of turns sideways and then explodes and sends out a shockwave that breaks every window for three miles. 
And with that in mind, I'm going to pick the Phillies at San Diego, um, which in addition to one legitimately good uh, pitching matchup, Aaron Nola versus Joe Musgrove um, on Saturday, also features a couple guys we mentioned, a couple former race starters, Matt Moore versus Blake Snell tonight. Uh, both of these teams are in absolute free fall right now. Uh, and this is going to be, uh, this is going to decide which team has the worst vibes of the current NL playoff contenders. Uh, cause I really don't, you know, there's not a lot to choose between them. So I'm excited to see that, that question answered, uh, once and for all, uh, at Petco park this weekend. So speaking of Matt Moore, I just, uh, was reading about his 2011 playoff game again. And I found a quote from Joel Peralta who said, watching him was great. First two pitches, and it's like, daddy's here. So when Shane Baz unexpectedly dominates in this postseason, I will be slacking you all with that notification. Well, if Shane Baz dominates in this postseason, we will come up with some kind of appropriate punishment for those of us who doubted you. Don't worry. We'll, we'll figure that out. All right. That will do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Thanks, as always, to Zach and Ben for joining me. Thanks to Bobby Wagner and Mike Wargon uh, for producing today's episode. Thanks to Lance Lynn's belt, Shane Baz, and uh, Walker Bueller for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>